Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable Podcast, your end-of-the-week sports update for all things MSU. Today, I'm here with Brendan Shabath, the Sports Director of Impact. How are we doing today, Brendan? I'm doing very good, Nick. It was kind of a, a, a rowdy morning for me. I thought my car got towed, but it turns out they just moved it to a different location in the parking lot, so we're all good, able to be here and do this, which I'm very excited about, be a part of the Sports Roundtable. Pretty cool. That's good. I'm glad you're here. Um, and so I just wanted to say that We'll be hosting, instead of at the State News, where we'll be doing the sports roundtable from Impact. It might not be Brendan every week with me, but we'll have some great people from Impact coming on the show, and it should be a good time. Yeah, there's a lot of awesome student journalists in general at this school, whether it's at Impact or the State News or you know Big Ten Plus, whatever. And it's cool that we can do something like this and collaborate and be together, and I'm, I'm very excited that we can be a part of this. That's awesome. And so before... Obviously, the big thing of the week was football. I want to talk about some non-revenue sports, give them a little shine. Yeah. So women's soccer is, has been doing very well after kind of what Jeff Hostler called a disappointing tie with Oakland, and I know you called that game for Big Ten+. Plus. Um, they came back, bounced back against number 19 Colorado. They won 4-2. to two. Um, Cam Evans got her first-ever hat trick. It was the first ranked win since 2016, first ranked win un- under Jeff Hostler. Can you, after calling the Oakland game, what did you, how, what did you see from the team's performance over the over the week? Yeah, I mean, this was a soccer team who started the first like 300 minutes of play this season without giving up a goal, and then they were up four nothing on Dartmouth and gave up a goal in the final minute, um, and it looked, you know, much like they were going to be pretty similar to last year, where last season before the season they were predicted to finish. 13th in the Big Ten and finished fourth. I mean, Jeff Hostler is an outstanding coach. He went to the national championship in Division Two at Grand Valley State every year he was there. He either won it or finished runner-up. And, and you know, then they go down to Arkansas and play a close game with, with another ranked team, Arkansas number 11 in the country. And it feels like Michigan State can get on this national spotlight and compete with SEC country and stuff like that. Um, and, and then the, the game against Oakland. Now, Oakland is, is a very good soccer team, and they're, they're perennially one of the best teams in this region in the North. But it, it was just a slow day for everybody. You kind of knew Oakland wasn't going to have the offense uh, really to compete with Michigan State. That's where they should have ran away with it. Um, and for that to end in a nil-nil tie was pretty disappointing. There wasn't a lot of energy on the field. Uh, it was a hot day, which might have played a factor in it, but it didn't seem like everybody came to play. Michigan State only had two shots on goal. Those were the only two shots on goal in the whole game. That's a number that can't happen if you're Jeff Hostler in Michigan State. You have to put shots on target. You have to make the defense get their money's worth and make them make the right plays. And so to come back after that, you know, after the Oakland game, it's a draw and it's not a loss and that's fine, but there's plenty of reason to be worried about going against another ranked team in Colorado. Now you do have, you know, home field advantage and that was a wet and slippery one and I'm sure that played a factor in it too and probably if Colorado had their choice they'd play it on 75 degrees and sunny and and no rain but you know they had to come up here to Michigan and kind of deal with it and that's part of home field advantage and, and for Cameron Evans to show out with the hat trick was a really nice sign because she was one of the people that for me personally I think other people that follow this program when she didn't really perform against Oakland, along with a lot of the other girls. It was like that that was one of the big disappointments. She was really kind of a non-factor in that Oakland game, only had a couple touches uh, near the net. Um, and for her to come back with a hat trick against a ranked team is pretty cool. And I think this is a good kind of leaping pad to start conference play for Michigan State. Yeah, and you mentioned that um, like the game, the conditions of the field were just just bad. They were It was downpouring 
every five minutes it would stop and then start again. And Cam Evans, when I talked to her after the game, she actually mentioned that the fact that helped the ball kind of skip more and yeah. made the game more wide open. And Hostler talked about how that's kind of the style they like to play, whereas Oakland kind of kept them tight, and that's why they couldn't really they couldn't get any goals on the board because Oakland. He was talking about they playing that low left that low block, and that just made it impossible to score against them. But since the field conditions and the way Colorado played was a bit of an open style, um, Hostler and Evans talked about how that really helped them, you know, get the win. Uh, and, over the weekend. And, you know, nobody likes to be out in the rain and torrential downpour, but it made for some pretty sweet pictures, too, so that was oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So they will have, since Sunday, they have had a week off. They'll play Illinois to start Big Ten play at 2 next Sunday. And moving on to men's soccer, they haven't looked as good as the women's team, but after a, dis- a sort of a disappointing start, they tied 1-1 to with Bowling Green two matches ago, and then they beat the winless Chicago State to move by four, by three, and with a score of four to one, to move to two, three, and one on the season, and then they play Washington on Friday night at 10 p.m. Um, just some thoughts over the men's soccer team. The men's soccer team are they're in an interesting spot. Uh, Damon Rensing has been here a while. You know he's taken them to one of their best seasons in history to the College Cup in 2018, but since then there hasn't been a winning season for. Michigan State and it it is not for a lack of talent it feels like they've had some outstanding players on that 2018 and since then to go through this program and you know move on and play professional soccer you look at Farai Mutatu with the LA Galaxy um, maybe not as much talent as some of the other schools in the country but they proved in 2018 that they can compete with that lack of talent and you hope that they can turn it around and and kind of be competitive in the Big Ten again. And now listen, for those that don't follow Big Ten soccer, it is one of the best conferences uh, for college soccer. There, there are some great teams year in and year out. And the school just down the road, Michigan, is always good in both the men's and women's. And so this non-conference schedule looked like one that, for the men's team, if you beat who you're supposed to and are competitive with schools like Bowling Green where they do get a draw, competitive with schools like Akron where they ended up losing 2-1, to one, you know, competitive with some of the better schools, it can set you up well for the conference season. I don't think they got quite the intended results that they wanted, but this Washington game is going to be a big one. Go on the road, you know, all the way across the country. That in itself is a challenge for any team. You know, the football team is going to do it this week as well. We'll talk about that, but that's that's a game that it feels like you need to win to really put yourself in a good spot to at least start conference play, okay, before you really get into the nitty-gritty of it. And we know that when the team does well, people show out. Like, people care about men's and women's soccer. There were a ton of fans over the weekend for the big upset win for women's team, but especially for the men's team, if we know if, as you said, they've done they've won before and we've seen, like, huge, like, huge crowds come to DeMartin and pack it, so... It, it would be nice to see that kind of crowd come back sooner rather than later to DeMartin. Yeah, and, you know, soccer is kind of a niche sport here in the States, and it's growing faster than I think almost any any other sport. And the nice thing that I like about it is you don't have to be a soccer fan, 
you know, be really deep into, you know, the English Premier League and know all the players and stuff. You don't have to be a soccer fan to that level to enjoy what you see in front of you. It's still very exciting to watch those guys go out there and play. The stuff they can do is amazing uh, for their age, and it makes it a lot of fun when we have fans that, that show out and, and can pack to Martin and make it a good game. And there's a lot to like about both teams. Again, they're not as, you know, to, to the level talent-wise as some of the other schools in the country. Um, and that's, you know, partly regional, just partly the way the programs have gone, you know, over the last decade or so. But there are some really fun players uh, for both of these teams. And, and I think for, for the men's team, at least, the freshmen are going to be really fun to watch. There's some, you know, you talk about Jack Gugamis, Tyler Crawford. There's some really good guys on this team uh, who look like they can really be some, some star players in the near future uh, and add a nice little wrinkle to this Michigan State team who is trying to uh, not necessarily replace Mutatu and everything that he brought, but they're still looking for their identity in that way. And I, I don't think they found it yet. I think they're still on that road to figuring out what kind of team they are, what they do best, and how they're going to go out there and beat teams. Um, but there's a lot to like about them. And you just mentioned freshmen coming in and doing well. I wanted to switch gears to men's tennis, where Ozan Barris just won the U.S. doubles junior cup and... Um, the hype around the tennis program after hiring a new coach this offseason, replacing a legend in Gina Orlando, which his name is Harry Jadun. I believe he was an assistant for Orlando for a while. And um, after getting a couple five stars last recruiting period, you add Ozan, who is top five in the in the nation. He's number one in Michigan, number one in the Great Lakes region from Okama, from Okemos. And um, I believe his name is Josh Portnoy, who plays, who's going to be a sophomore, also was a five-star from Okemos as well. So a lot of talent coming from the area. Just exciting times for the men's tennis program. Yeah, you don't exactly think of Michigan State when you think of men's tennis as a powerhouse, but they're starting to add those people on the roster that they need uh, to really bolster that that national brand. And there's nothing, in my opinion, more fun about a team than, than a team that has a new coach. There's so much to kind of dive into and see how they handle certain situations and what they did in the past and how that translates to here and just the story overall of how they got here. And there's so many new coaches at this school in a bunch of different sports, and men's tennis is one of them, that it makes you want to take a closer look. If you're not a tennis fan, um, if you haven't really followed it here at Michigan State or just in the United States in general, um, it, it makes you, you know, kind of do a double take and say, okay, well, what's going on over here with, with the men's tennis? They're starting to see some wins. I, you know, I see some five stars, like you mentioned, um, and Ozon, and then, oh, there's a new coach. Like, there's a lot you can dive into with this team, and that's a lot of fun. And mentioning new coaches as well, I, now I want to switch to volleyball, who, as we know, Leah Johnson took over in the offseason for another legend in Kathy George. She actually started 6-0 and with the team for the first time since 2012, but had... Um, over the weekend, got swept in her ACC Big Ten Challenge, kind of when they went to play Duke in North Carolina. But still, after starting for the first, now they're playing in the Breslin Center, new coach. There's a lot of hype around the team. They started off very well. Hopefully, looking to continue this kind of play into Big Ten conference play. Yeah, and listen, the move to Breslin is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Jenison Fieldhouse, and it's 105 degrees in there, and it just smells old, which it is, and and but that's a really nice place. But I think the move to Breslin was overdue. 
uh, for this volleyball program. Um, I think it brings a lot of excitement for the players. And, and when you can get your players excited you know, about a new coach and a new place, and I think they did it at the right time. I, like I said, it was overdue, but it, it, it wouldn't have made sense to let Leah Johnson come in here and be here for two or three years and then make the switch. It's like, okay, new coach, new place, everything's exciting, everything's fun. If you can get your players to kind of buy into this new regime and new program, you'll be set up well. And we saw 6-0 and start for the first time since 2012. That's that's pretty cool. North Carolina and Duke are good programs every single year. Uh, and Michigan State, while, while everything is new, they haven't competed in a while in the Big Ten and nationally. And the Big Ten, again, for volleyball, for women's volleyball, is a gauntlet. Uh, you talk about teams like Wisconsin and Iowa and Penn State, good every single year. Uh, Michigan's got a good volleyball team. And so it's going to be a long road, and we're not, you know, we're obviously not in the Big Ten play yet. Um, and we'll see after the first couple matches how things look like they might shake out uh, for this season. I think what I look for for Leah Johnson is you want to see different than under Kathy George. You want to see, if you're going to see mistakes, you want to see different mistakes. You want to see them focusing on where they were lacking in the past, and maybe they fix those, and that leads to lacks in other departments. Um, But as long as they're improving um, and and these players are buying in, it it can be set up for a a nice season that, that can hopefully put Leah Johnson in a good position to really kind of turn this program around. And that's what she's hired to do, and that's kind of what she did at Illinois State. Um, And I don't see any reason why she can't here. And with that, they'll be facing Oakland on Friday night as well um, at home at the Breslin Center. And switching to the other team at the Breslin Center, we've recently got some news from the basketball side. I know you were a basketball reporter for Impact, so you follow the team very closely. But Jaden Akins is out for four weeks, as we learned earlier this week, with a stress reaction, I believe his left foot. That he's, he's going to be a sophomore. He's expected to make a big jump in minutes in production. How do you think that will you know, sort of hinder his, develop, his development going into the season? I mean, obviously surgery is never a good thing, especially on your foot for a basketball player. Everything you do is on your feet. Um, and it, it, it can be a, a, a struggle to deal with that mentally for a player and obviously physically, you know, getting back into the right shape. And for someone like Aikens, you know, I take Joey Hauser, for example. A stress reaction surgery for him is a little different than someone like Jaden Aikens, who is so athletic, probably the most athletic player on this team, probably the fastest player on this team. We've seen him go high for dunks and blocks and even rebounds, you know, and and, and go coast to coast uh, in what seems like half a second. So I think it will take some time for him to get back to that level. Aikens is a fighter, though. He's a bulldog, and I I think he'll handle this challenge well. He's got some good people around him. He knows, I think, the expectations that are around him this season. And obviously you never want injury or surgery, but the silver lining with it is that maybe those expectations get rolled back a little bit, and maybe there's a little bit less pressure for him to perform right away. I mean, we know the expectations that fans have around this program. It's national championship level. It's undefeated in conference play, ranked in the top 25 year in and year out, compete in the the Champions Classic and like this season against Gonzaga and Notre Dame and Villanova, the gauntlet of a non-conference schedule they have. 
And so if it can relieve those expectations for him a little bit, then that's one plus you can take away. The the biggest issue for me is I think whenever someone misses time, I always think back to the COVID season for Michigan State where they missed an entire offseason essentially. And we saw what that did to Rocket Watts, who after his freshman season was the shooting guard, um, you know, kind of under the wing of Cassius Winston and Aaron Henry and guys like that. And Rocket showed a lot of potential, and he had a couple 20-point games and kind of willed Michigan State to victory a couple times in that, that COVID season uh, right right before you know the world ended and looked like they were going to go on a Final Four run. He looked like he was going to be a big piece of that. And so everybody said, okay, when he comes back, you know, he'll be the point guard. He can handle the ball. He just has to learn how to run the offense and pass, and he should be fine. And without the offseason and the development to do that, it never was fine, and that next season was a really roller coaster season for Michigan State with, you know, ups and downs and it took three top five wins in the last two weeks to just get into the NCAA tournament. And then obviously losing to an eventual Final Four uh team in UCLA. But so you know, especially the the you know, four weeks leading up to the season, you really don't wanna miss if you're gonna pick a time to miss. It's in the middle of the summer at the start. But again, I mean Akins will be there every day at practice. I, I fully expect him to take this as an opportunity to learn and kind of watch from a different perspective. Ever since he's been here, he's been watching and learning involved in practice and on the court. And, you know, he gets utilized more in practice, obviously, than we see in the games. Um, And so now it's an opportunity to see it from a different side. And, And especially for basketball, seeing the court from different views can really change how you see it when you're on there. And for someone like Aikens, who's probably going to have the ball in his hands a lot once he gets that leadership role um, and is going to be a decision maker on this team, that can be really beneficial. Um, And if he uses this time well, uh, I fully expect him to come back uh, and perform with flying colors. And not to scare anybody, and I know he said he'll make a full recovery with the surgery, but I always think back when I hear stress reaction, stress fracture to Josh Langford and how that absolutely just destroyed not destroyed, he did have a nice bounce back year his last season, but kind of he was the five-star coming in, you know, with the class with Cassius and Bridges and Ward and everyone, he was kind of the underrated piece of the class. Everyone expected him to kind of just stay throughout and keep getting better and be a leader in, at the team, but that those injuries with the stress the stretch, stress fractures and everything just kind of defa- derailed his career and I hopefully I'm hoping that it doesn't happen with the same with Aikens, but you can't help but think about what ha- what it did with Langford. And a, a positive of that, though, is that Michigan State has dealt with it and dealt with it recently. So they're going to exercise caution with Aikens, and they will check on him every single day and see how that foot is doing. Um, and it will it will probably be slow. I, I know they, they said they expect him to be back for the start of the season, I don't think he'll have the same role at the start of the season that he will by the time December and January rolls around. I think they're going to take their time, which is exactly what they should do. It felt like with Langford, it was kind of not a rush to get back because, you know, he he missed a whole offseason one time and, you know, stuff like that. But it it felt like there was this urge to to kind of push him back and, okay, we need this five-star. We need these points. We need this production. We need this leadership, and we need it now. And... That can be tough, and I think that might have played a role in his, you know, just chronic, you know, uh, injury proneness. And I think for Aikens, there might be a little PTSD there, and, and they'll make sure to take their time 
with it. And, and I hope they do. I think that's what they should do. There's, you know, essentially in, in college basketball for a team like Michigan State, who really should every season uh, at this current time be in the top four of the Big Ten, the non-conference schedule is important, but it doesn't matter as much. There's other teams who are on the cusp of, you know, the top eight or nine in their, their conference, or you look at, you know, the non Power five conferences, those teams need those big non-conference wins. And if you're Michigan State, you want to get them too. If you beat Gonzaga and you beat Notre Dame and you beat Villanova, you're going to be in the top five in the country by the time November rolls or uh, December rolls around. But they don't matter as much when you expect to make the NCAA tournament. Obviously, winning those games will help with your seeding and whatnot. But you're not at the luxury right now to risk Aikens for the rest of the season for a couple non-conference games. I expect them to take their time with him and, and slowly ease him back into things. I, I, I want to urge fans to be cautious, and you know, I want to see Jaden Nakins just as much as you guys do, but I want to see him healthy, and I want to see him for a long time. So we got to take our time with bringing him back. And then moving on to a team who, after last season, now has almost as high as expectations as the basketball team, which is Mel Tucker and the football team. I want to talk about... The, some performances from over the weekend as, you know, with the 52 to nothing win against Akron. Jacoby Winman had another um, huge game. He went, it was a, kind of a quiet game, though. You saw the four sacks against Western, but this game he was kind of under the radar, even though his stats, if you just look at his stats and not watch the game, you would think, how would this guy go under the radar? But <laughs> he had finished with five tackles, two and a half of them for word for loss, a sack and a half, three forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and a pass breakup. Just what has he done, in your opinion, to bolster the team's pass rush and just the defense overall so far? Yeah, well, first, I think when there's six fumbles on the day, the three that he forces do tend to go under the radar a little bit. And that Akron game was a weird one for Michigan State, where obviously they blew him out. 52 nothing was like one of the biggest margins of victory in you know this century or whatever it was. Um, but it, it still didn't quite feel that way for some reason. I think that's because of the offense um, and because of Thorne, which we'll talk about. But... Jacoby Winman is kind of the epitome of what we expected from Tucker. We expected him to get these transfers, get these recruits, get these guys from different parts of the country that Michigan State is unaccustomed to, and for them to perform. And I hope, you know, we talked a lot about already expectations. I hope his, his expectations from the fans aren't too high now um, before the conference play because you have to take into account that this these games that we're seeing are Western Michigan and Akron. This production will slow down. He will play better teams. It will probably slow down this weekend. Washington has a good offensive line. They really haven't played anybody this year, but still the the stat that Michael Penix hasn't been sacked yet in two games is really impressive. They had a great offensive line last year. So I, I expect this production to even slow down from Winman as soon as this next game. But the nice thing is, is you know he has the potential. You know if he stays around for another year, he can have one of the best seasons uh, defensively that Michigan State has seen in a long time. Um, and I think this this leads to a breakout game. I, I think big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. And so Winman feels like one of those guys. And on a defense that's suffering right now, that is dealing with some injuries, and I know he's in the front seven and their injuries are in the secondary, it's still kind of, you know, you take solace in the fact that he's up there and you know he can probably go out there and have a breakout game when Michigan State's going to need it. I mean, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, obviously Ohio State and Penn State 
uh, it, it it feels like one of those, you know, two maybe of those games or so, he could break out and, and really propel Michigan State to a victory. And I was talking with some friends about um, his performances the past two games, and we were saying that, you know, last year MSU had a clear NFL guy, and that was Kenneth Walker. This year it feels like the clear NFL guy is Jacoby Winman. And you mentioned that, you know, big-time players make big-time plays. We saw Kenneth Walker score five touchdowns, um, against Michigan and arguably our biggest game of the season. Countless other games he stepped up. And so I, I agree with you. I think that Winman steps up this week, this weekend, which is people are, I feel like people are underrating this game because there's a lot of things coming in where the team hasn't looked like you you really want it to be at. And then Washington has been playing well despite, you know, um, playing, you know, weaker opponents. But there's a lot kind of in the mix here. And you can see it. We're We're going to talk about this more later. But the the betting lines, and we always know that Vegas is very accurate, and it moved. Vegas always knows exactly, and it moved from we were favored by three and a half to now Washington's favored by three and a half, and whenever Vegas has it close, you know it's we're in for an interesting one. But um, I want also want to talk about some other transfers too that Tucker's brought in, and Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard, who combined for five touchdowns on the day over the weekend, and we can't forget our, about our fellow Cub Eli Collins getting yes, there, sir. which is great to see. Um, shout out U of D Jesuit, but um, so far, like Berger and Broussard have kind of split the carries um, this season, and Berger has had a bigger production, but Broussard kind of broke out last game. It was good to see the running backs, even though, I mean, no one can replace Kenneth Walker, like, or people can, but it's very hard, and there's a lot of pressure on these guys' shoulders um, being highly touted transfers, but I feel like they've done a good job so far coming in in terms of replacing the production of Walker. Yeah, and listen, I think it's I think it's fair. I think it's okay to say nobody's going to replace Kenneth Walker. The dude had one fumble at Michigan State uh, and ran for five touchdowns, the most in the history of the rivalry against Michigan. He did things that nobody's probably ever going to do again uh, here at this school. Um, but I always, whenever I see a team, professionally, college, high school, whatever it is, lose a big star like that, I always think of the movie Moneyball and with the Oakland A's. And, you know, they lost Giambi and they lost a bunch of guys and they you know there's the scene they're in the they're in the scout meeting and stuff and they're trying to find one player to replace Jambi and Billy Bean is like no we can find three guys who equal the production that he had um and that's kind of what Michigan State's got to do with uh Berger and Broussard and it feels like there's the potential it's not going to be the flash and the flare that Kenneth Walker was and it's you know not going to be one one person that this fan base rallies around but a nice duo is really fun to have. And the guys each propose different skill sets and different things that they do well and different things that as a defense you have to scheme against and be prepared for. And every defensive coordinator that, you know, scouts against Michigan State this season is going to have different plans and packages for their defense based on who's in the backfield. And that's a big advantage for Michigan State. In big-time games and big moments – it's tough to pay attention to the little things like that. Oh, is that 25 in the back or is it 23, you know? And and that changes your mindset as a linebacker, as a DN, as a safety, you know, whatever. And so having two is, is not as bad, I think, as people might expect it to be. You know, it's I understand it. It's it's hard to watch Michigan State go 11-2 and two last year, or 12-2, and two, I should say, and finish it up with or come back this year without Kenneth Walker, without that Heisman candidate that they had. And there's a lot of fun around that. Um, but there's a lot to like about Berger and Broussard. And again, it's early. You know, we mentioned that 
Washington hasn't had a tough schedule. They're saying the same thing about Michigan State. They've never heard of Western Michigan. You know, they've probably never heard of Akron. Um, and, and, and so uh, th- they're saying the same thing about Michigan State, and they're coming in, they're seeing the betting line, they're seeing the expectations. I think an ideal situation in this game for Michigan State is that you go out there and surprise people. You absolutely, you know, wipe the floor with Washington and run them out of their own building. And I think there's a big chance that that happens. I think Mel Tucker is very dissatisfied with this team through the first two games, uh, dissatisfied with his quarterback and and with his offense. Uh, And obviously, you know, luck plays a factor with, you know, uh, the injuries that they're dealing with on defense, and there's reason to be upset about that. But uh, I think he'll have this team ready for Washington, um, and there's a good chance that they just go out there and surprise some people and win this game by two or three scores. And it's interesting because, I mean, we're ranked 11th in the AP poll, and Washington's unranked, and people are still, you know, cautious about coming in. And, I mean, how both teams have played, it's pretty similar, um, we're, you were saying, with the schedules. But um, one player who has looked off that Tucker has actually said he's not concerned about it at all, and I, I, I kind of agree with the statement, is Peyton Thorne. We've seen him the first two games. He put up some good stats against Western Michigan. He threw for four touchdowns, had over 200 yards, but he still looked off. Like, he would miss some passes um, deep. He'd miss some passes high. He seemed not to be in the, in the best rhythm. And he also got roughed up in two separate plays in two separate games. And then last week you had... No touchdowns, two interceptions, even though one was kind of like one was just a stupid decision he did on a flag. I believe it was when he got he got nailed and he just threw it up to no one and it got picked off. But it's still and he's it seems like to me he's been allergic to hitting Keon Coleman, at least last week, because that guy was open every time he threw it at him. He just missed him and left a lot of points on the board. And I was just I was curious to see or to know your thoughts on what do you think about his his debut so far? So Thorne is an interesting character on this movie that is Michigan State football this season. Um, And he's a main character and someone that you need to have a good character arc this year. Um, The the biggest thing for me is I'm not necessarily worried about the missed throws, the ones that are off target. We kind of saw him do that last year too. Um, And it worked out okay um, for the most part. But for me... The the area that I really wanted to see growth in from last season to this season and that I haven't really seen yet is the decision-making. There were a couple throws last year, you know, double, triple coverage, kind of going for the big play maybe or, or somewhere up the middle that, that's, you know, closed off that you would hope he would turn around this year and especially against inferior teams like Western Michigan and Akron and for him to go out there and really struggle against an Akron team that they beat 52 to nothing and to just look off against a Western team who they usually beat by three scores every single year, it's not exactly confidence-inducing, you know? I fully expect him to turn it around, and as far as the accuracy, that's that's something that just you, you got to kick the rust off. Um, and, you know, it was probably a... a it's you know difficult coming back from a big season like that and having the same motivation um, to come out next season and, and do everything right. So he might still just be kind of waking up for, for this season and we might need another two or three games for those balls to really be crisp and on target, and that's something that just comes with time. But 
the decision-making has to turn around and has to turn around fast or they're going to lose a game here. And you don't want to do that early in the season, obviously. We saw how much fun, how much excitement it added last year for them to go, what was it, eight games before they lost? If they can get to like that five-game mark and still have a zero in the loss column, they put themselves in a position to compete for a national championship. You get you get through five games without a loss, who knows what happens the rest of the way. And there's it's a tough schedule and you know they're going to have to go to the big house against a Michigan team who has national championship expectations. Um, a Wisconsin team who just lost to Washington State is going to come here. Uh, they're going to be looking for some revenge and try to take that Big Ten West that is still kind of up for grabs and, and Penn State every year. You never know what's going to happen there. But so for Thorne, I, I, I need to see the the decision-making turn around. And hopefully it's in this Washington game. I think it'll be a good test. I think this Washington team is one that they – this is a Washington team who's not known for their run defense, and I think there's an avenue for Berger and Broussard to have really big days. Anytime there's an expectation that you can run the ball well – you know you can pass the ball well, too, because the defense will be keyed in on the run, and that's what they're trying to improve and turn around. And so that can open up Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley, and as long as he hits them and makes good decisions in the right spot, it's a game that he can you know, build off of and kind of set up the rest of the season well for him if, if he has a good day. I think we really need a zero-interception game from Peyton Thorne sometime soon. We haven't had one yet this season. And obviously, you know, not every interception is the quarterback's fault. Um, And certainly that goes for Thorne as well. But like you said, those ones where he just throws it up and nobody's there, there were a couple of those last year. And for a quarterback who wants to lead a big, you know, a team to a Big Ten championship, you can't make those same mistakes that you did last year in weeks one and two of the next season. That has to be turned around. So I hope he does for the sake of this football team. And I think he will. Yeah, the one against Western always pops in my mind this year of just he seemingly like like he had a first down just just run out of bounds and he decides to throw it across his body to Jeremy Bernard who's the the defender I don't know who it was but was all over him and it was just not a good decision I agree we saw that last year and hopefully kind of like Miami was uh last year kind of a turnaround game or like where people started to wake up and were like this team could be legit I hope that this game kind of serves it feels like the same vibe coming into you know, you're going on the road far away from home against a team who, like, has something to prove uh, in Washington. In this case, Miami was different. Different. I case think I see year. the similarities. They they both have been really good in the past as well. Washington was, you know, a playoff team at one point and stuff. So, yeah. So I mean, there's similarities and differences, but non-conference road game, um, biggest game of the season so far. It's definitely those are the similarities from last year, but. Thorne might missing might be missing this week a p- uh, an important piece in Jaden Reed as Tucker gave him the sore status after he saw him walk off the game or out of the game with a nice catch on the sideline kind of looked like he messed might have messed his knee up or something but Tucker never you know gets into the specifics so we don't know what exactly is going on just kind of like Xavier Henderson is sore even though it seems like he almost like broke a leg or something last week he could call that sore which I don't know if I, I, that that's one thing that annoys me about Tucker but so hopefully I mean his status is unknown but that'd be a big loss if Reed is out for this game against Washington yeah and then it's a game where you really have to rely on the running game and Berger and Broussard to do you know what we've seen them do in the first two weeks 
Um, and this is a Washington team that they can do that against. But for Thorne, that's really difficult to go without Reed. And that will sh- that will be a true test of his character as a quarterback, how he handles that situation and not having his favorite target open. I, I, I love the example that you brought up in the Western game um, because I, I think – you know, he's trying to make the big play and the exciting play, and that's essentially all that Michigan State season was last year was big and exciting plays, and that's a big reason why there was so much hype and last season was so much fun for this fan base and for this football team is because they had flea flickers and Kenneth Walker with big runs and Jaden Reed and punt returns and, you know, deep throws to Reed, and, and it was the big play. You know, it felt like Ohio State. You know, Ohio State's been the best team, I think, in the country for the last – six or seven years at making the big play. And that's kind of what last season felt like for Michigan State. But there's a time and a place for Thorne, and he has to learn that. And that Western Michigan interception, I think, is a good example of you don't need to make that big play there, you know, especially against a team like Western where you're just supposed to beat them. You know, you just have to tuck that and run it and get the first down and just do your job and move on to the next series. There's We'll see how he handles the Reed situation if he doesn't play. Again, with Tucker, who knows? You know who's going to play and who's exactly. not. I I think uh, Reed will probably be okay, and hopefully he goes out there and plays. It, it might be mental gymnastics for Washington, and maybe that's part of it as well. And you know, Michigan State's completely healthy, or maybe the other side of the mental gymnastics is that they're you know missing more guys, and they don't want to let Washington know. But either way, without Reed, Thorne's going to have his work cut out for him. He definitely will have to step up. And against moving on just to previewing the the Washington team itself, they go, they're going up against a familiar foe, Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana. He's been very good this this these first two games so far. He's thrown, I believe, six touchdowns, only one interception, hasn't been sacked yet. So, and with Xavier Henderson out for you know, as we said, who knows how long he's sore, kind of the leader of that secondary, and we know the problems um, the secondary's had, and it kind of seems like. Those problems are still there a little bit this year so far. I mean, you can't expect shutdown like every single play, but there have been times and drives series this year where it's like the corners still can't seem to cover anybody. Like you see, you see Chuck Brantley out there like hit sticking people, but like really, does that matter when the guy has already caught? He just gained twelve yards. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's already a first down, so like it doesn't really mean anything. And then you've got a guy, a huge guy, like Amir Speed out there, who seems, I know Tucker has given praise to him so far, but in my eye it seems like he hasn't done what I believe he can do and what he's capable of. Maybe he's still getting used to Big Ten play and being on the team and all that because he is a transfer from Georgia. And he hasn't. He didn't really see the field last year, but rightfully so because Georgia was very talented. But got, And then Kendall Brooks has stepped up. He's been a guy for Xavier Henderson who's been forcing fumbles left and right. Um, he looks solid and save your spot and then Angelo Gross has kind of looked the same in my opinion I don't I haven't really seen anything from him different from last year so far um, but it's still a young season for the secondary but I do have my uh, I'm not I'm not pessimistic but I'm not optimistic about where the secondary is heading so far and this week's definitely going to be a good a good test against a guy who can sling it like Penix. Yeah, and I think, you know, we mentioned that Penix hasn't been sacked this year against uh, their first two opponents. I thought I saw something, too, that when he was at Indiana, he'd never been sacked against Michigan State. I mean, he's like, he's a Spartan killer. Um, He's just one of those guys who, who, uh, he's like a, he's like a raging bull when he sees that green and white. And it's, it's going to be a test for the secondary. I'm interested 
to see the scheme. You've seen it, Michigan State really struggle doing the soft zone defensively before and give up chunks of yards at a time. But then you go into man coverage, and there's, like you said, some guys who just can't cover uh, as well as they really should be able to at this level, and you risk the big play. And the last thing you want to do on the road in a hostile environment in a primetime game is give up big plays. Um, so I, I, I think they'll try to pressure the quarterback. I think they'll try to force Penix to make quick decisions and smart throws you know, on the fly. Um, but it, it's their defense, their secondary is really going to have to bear down in this game and probably play the best they've had this season. I think the end result will be a shootout. I really don't see, as there's been you know stats to back it up, that Washington has been lighting up teams, and we have too. And our defense still, to me, doesn't hasn't seemed like it's taken that next step yet. So I believe this game will end in a shootout. But, I mean, honestly, who knows with... There's so many different factors coming in. So it's going to be definitely an interesting result, and I know everybody will be tuned in for it. Um, But that's all I have for content. Brendan, do you have anything else you would like to add? No, I I think you bring up a good point. There's a good chance this is a shootout. We talked about the favorite in this game. I didn't see the over-under line, so I'm curious about that. This is one of those games that feels like Vegas is going to be wrong, though. You know, it yeah. feels like this over-under is going to be off or uh, this spread is going to be incorrect. So the over-under is at 56.5 total. I feel like I, w- I, feel like I want to take the under there. Some, there's sometimes, it seems like w- there's one or two games every single season where it goes the complete opposite of what you expect. You expect a shootout or you expect a low-scoring affair, and it's the flip side. And I think there's a chance for this Washington game to be that way. I don't know why. I don't have anything to back it up. I just feel that way. So really good journalism over here. But it, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm excited for this game. Um, I'm excited to watch them in prime time. I'm excited to see how they handle the road environment. The road environment wasn't kind to of them last year. You look at Purdue. You look at Ohio State. They really struggled with that. Their best wins and part of the reason that season was one of the best in the you know, past couple of years for Michigan State was because they played really well at home. And that's what you need to do. You you have to play well and win at home and make your home environment, make it a hostile crowd. But the best teams will still play to that same level in a hostile environment like Washington. And they're going to be ready. They're going to be excited. Their fans are excited for this game. This is still a Washington program that is good, that wants to get back to its winning ways of a couple of years ago. And a win like this could really set them up for a good year in the Pac-12. And, you know, we talk about conference or not conference expansion playoff expansion the pac-12 is primed to get into the playoff now once it expands to 12 teams so for a school like washington who there were conversations about joining the big 10 after ucla and usc did they have no reason to do that now they're going to stay in the pac-12 and they're going to try to win it and they're going to try to make the playoffs that way um and they set their program up for Uh, a good opportunity to do that with a win against Michigan State. So they're going to be ready. It's going to be a fun game. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be low scoring, though. Don't know why. Safe to say, any way you cut it, it'll be interesting. So thankfully, fans have some – they have a big game to look forward to finally with the football team. So that that is exciting for this weekend. But anyways, thank you so much, Brendan, for joining, and thanks to everyone for listening. And see you guys next Friday for another edition of Sports Roundtable. Thanks again, Brendan. Thank you for being here. It was really fun.